0: Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. Let's turn our Bibles to revelations. Tonight I'm speaking to you on the message to the churches in Ephesus and Laodicea. We have treated the churches, three of them so far and tonight we'll be looking at two of them and then it is possible. I'm not sure but probably tomorrow, Thursday in place of Green Pastures I will share the last two with you. So let's prepare ourselves for that. Amen. Now I want us to look at these teachings based on the previous week's preparations that we are supposed to um, adopt in understanding the book of revelations. We have said that chapter 1 is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to John that write the things that you have seen. That is the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1. And the things that exist... And that is the churches, things in the churches. And Jesus sees what goes on in our churches. And whenever we talk about the church, we look at it from two dimensions. We see the congregation and then we see you as a Christian. That single individual Christian is the church. And then when we all gather, we are still the church. So whenever there's a warning to the churches, remember it is both to the congregation and the individuals that make up the congregation and in this case the bible tells us that at least three people were addressed the angel or the pastors of the churches the individuals within the churches and the congregation of the church now we've seen that all these messages which are things that currently exist because it's from chapter 4 to chapter 22 that events that will take place hereafter after the church is raptured That is what we will experience from chapter 4 onward. So the things in chapter 2 and chapter 3 are currently the state of the churches. And every one of us and everyone listening must examine yourself through these teachings to see where do I stand? Am I right in the sight of God? Because we will do some good things. But when we study these teachings, we have found out that in each of them, in most of the churches, Jesus will commend them for good things they have done. And then he says, but I have something against you. I don't want to have that declaration against me. One thing against you is still enough. And we see that during these teachings, we see a common structure that includes a greeting, commendations, corrections, an exhortation to repent, and a promise of reward for those who overcome. Now, tonight, we will be looking at the church in Ephesus and then the church in Laodicea. I want us to begin with the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus. Let me introduce you to the church in Ephesus. They are one of the most spiritual of all the churches that were planted. They were very, very spiritual. They carried a level of spiritual maturity. In fact, that is why even the teaching on spiritual warfare was written to them Ephesians chapter 6 all that we write there where we are introduced to principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual host of wickedness Paul taught them that they know these things they are a very very spiritual church and Ephesus is a very powerful place because it was the capital of Asia Minor in those days and the center of land and sea trade. It's a very major commercial center and a very powerful city. It is one of the most influential cities of the Roman Empire. And one of the interesting things about this place, despite their economic prosperity and its capital, it being a capital city, it is also the headquarters for the worship of the goddess Artemis. And What, you know, remember in the book of Acts, there is the worship of the great goddess Diana. That place is also a spiritual capital. Ephesus is a place where different gods were worshipped, but it is also the headquarters of several gods and goddesses. Especially Artemis. And one of the major industries in this place also is the images of goddesses and gods. And that is why in the place some time ago when Paul was preaching in that place and people became saved. The Bible says that the craftsmen who were artisans who produced these images of gods and goddesses said that their trade is in danger. Because if people become born again and they receive Jesus, they will not worship this god. So they caught Paul and Silas and they beat them and put them in jail, and, and, and did all kinds of terrible things, and persecuted the church in that place. So, this is Ephesus. Now, when we read chapter 2, they were the first church to be addressed. Even though I didn't teach in the order in which Christ addressed them for various reasons which I advanced in the previous teaching, tonight we want to look at them. They, they are very spiritual. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much will be required. No wonder they are the first to be addressed by Jesus. They have a lot they carry a lot and they you will see their spiritual maturity but that is where we need to be very careful that our spiritual maturity must be maintained thoroughly without compromising one side of things now the bible tells us in if revelation chapter 2 and the verse number one to the angel of the church in ephesus write This angel is a human being that is the pastors of the church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. Now in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus explained to John, what the seven stars that were in his right hand, what they represented, and what the seven golden lampstands represented. The seven golden lampstands represents the churches. The number seven is the number of completeness and perfection. So he's talking about the total church, the complete church. And he is, the golden lampstands represents the the churches. And then, The seven stars, each star represented the the, the Holy Spirit. The seven stars represented the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now it says, he holds the seven stars in his hands. Oh, sorry, the seven stars are the pastors. Sorry, the seven stars are the pastors of the seven churches. And the the, the, the lampstands, the golden lampstands are the churches. So... The first one is called The second one is not the Holy Spirit yet. It is the pastors. So when Jesus comes in introducing himself as he that holds the seven stars in his hands, he's the one that gives pastors. He holds the pastors in his hands. He's the owner of the pastors. He's the giver of the pastors. He's the one who releases the pastors. He has them in his right hand. And is informing the church that no matter how great you think you are, the source of the pastorate comes from Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Ephesians, again, it is in Ephesians that we are taught in chapter 4. That he gave some to be pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists. It is in Ephesians that we are taught the fivefold ministry. That's why I told you. They are a church that is loaded. They are loaded. They are very loaded. They have got every stuff. They've got deep things. But that is where the danger lies sometimes. We can be very deep and then we mess up or we think our deepness is enough. So we ignore certain things. May the Lord guide the church and help us in Jesus' name. So he says, I am the one that walks among the seven golden lampstands. I walk among the churches. And I am also the one that actually holds, I have the power over the churches. And I have power over the pastors. I have power. He holds these swans in his hand, indicating his power and authority over the churches and over their leaders. No pastor is the owner of the church. Jesus is the owner of the church and the pastor is an under-shepherd, a messenger, a servant of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. So Ephesus, the Bible says, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. I know your deeds. Do you realize that in all the churches we have studied so far, three of them, everyone, Jesus says, I know the works you do. Tonight, bear that in mind that Jesus knows what we do as Christians, as pastors, and as church members, as a church. He knows what we have been doing. And the question is, have we been up to what he asks us to do? Or we want to do what we want to do. May the Lord be merciful. But the message of God has a limit. We need to repent and do what we were asked to do. Now, nobody likes to do what you were asked to do. We, We sometimes want to do our own things. But if we become submissive to the master and owner of the church, then we will be willing to do what he said we should do. And then he says, I know your works. I know your hard work. And your perseverance. He said, I know that you work hard. You labor so well in the ministry, in evangelism, in church planting, in teaching spiritual truths. The church of Ephesus was good at all these things. They were very, very spiritually matured. The Bible says that, he says, your hard work and your perseverance, I know. I came to announce to you as a Christian whether your pastor is present or not, work hard. The Lord knows. Amen. The Lord sees. Amen. It is of the Lord that you shall receive your reward. Amen. The Lord sees. So that's why it's very, very serious too when we come to church and do things anyway, anyhow. The Lord is seeing you. The Lord sees. May we take God seriously? This thing is not a joke. If He really died on the cross, and he really rose again from the dead. And he's nowhere that can be found. His body can be found anywhere on the face of the earth. Then be afraid of John chapter 14. For he says, I'm going away. I'll come back again. I'm going to my father's house. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back for you. Now if he's coming back again then we need to be very careful how we walk this Christian walk. In Jesus' name, that we are ready to please Christ and not any other person who may offend us or not. Don't let people's behavior affect your service of God. He says, I see and I know what you are doing in my house. He says, your hard work and your perseverance He knows it. So whether pastor sees it or not, whether end of year appreciation they call you or not, Jesus said, he knows it. For me, my greatest pleasure will be that he knows what I'm doing and not how people respond to me. Then he says, and I also know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. This church is powerful. They don't tolerate wicked people at all. They were hard preachers of the word. And he says, and that you have also tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You see why this church is very spiritual. They can, if they operate the gifts of the spirit in the church. That when anybody says they are an apostle, they can descend them by the spirit. And know that this is a false apostle. This is a true prophet. This is a true pastor. This is a false. Uh, Jesus said, I, I know that you do these ones too. That you, you don't like those who do wicked things. All forms of wickedness. And when we talk about wickedness, don't think murder alone. Slander is wickedness. The Bible says, don't let the wicked be established. And then he mentioned, let not the slanderer be established in the earth. Evil speaking of other people, lying about the character and reputation of another person, is a wicked act. Committing sexual sins is wickedness. Joseph defined that for us. When Mrs. Potiphar presented herself to him, he said to mrs potiphar how can i commit this great wickedness this act you are asking me to commit is great wickedness he says you don't tolerate wicked men make this be the commendation from god that you don't tolerate wicked people you speak the truth you blast sin blast sin and stand by what is right don't be a hypocrite blasting sin and doing sin in secret It is the highest level of hypocrisy and witchcraft to admire, to to condemn something publicly whilst you admire it secretly. I said it is the highest level of hypocrisy and witchcraft to condemn something publicly whilst you admire it secretly. These people, both secret and public, they condemn sin and will not allow wicked people to have their way. Then the Bible says they don't tolerate men. that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but they are not and you found them to be false. This church is spiritual. They could descend false prophets. You don't go to Ephesus and say that's the Lord. <laughs> Make sure it is really that's the Lord because another prophet inside will pick you out and say even ordinary members of the church, they were very spiritual. The gifts of the spirit was in operation in those places. And Paul taught them exactly how to walk in the spirit and how to engage in spiritual warfare. They were sound. In fact, John himself had been to Ephesus and taught in the place. And Timothy was the bishop of the church in Ephesus. I tell you, they were loaded. They were loaded. But there was something. (laughs) I love that church. Then the Bible says, you have persevered. That means that you have endured hardship. Things have happened, but you have held on to your faith. You have not denied the faith. You have persevered. That means you have carried on doing what you are supposed to do in spite of trials, challenges, and opposition. That is perseverance. It's the highest level of patience. Patience is not just waiting. It is persistently and consistently waiting. Amen. And then the Bible says that, and you have endured hardships for my name. Ladies and gentlemen, if you truly serve Jesus Christ, there will be moments of hardship. And it doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It is because of today's Christianity. May the Lord deliver us from preaching the wrong gospel. That makes people think that when you come to Jesus, all shall be well. We hope all shall be well, but there are sometimes all won't be well. And it doesn't mean that Jesus is not king. Paul said that, that we must understand that with much tribulation, we make our way into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself said that anyone that will follow him, the world will hate you. You will be persecuted for his name's sake. Things can be tough and hard. We must teach people that the end and their destination is Christ Jesus and not the worldly things of life. The worldly things, they make life comfortable sometimes. But when we don't have them, it must not stop our service of God. We are having a Christianity where people today, when things get tough, they stop serving God. They stop going to church. They get angry at the pastor and get angry at the church and get angry at everything. Ladies and gentlemen, whether things do well or not, your greatest treasure is salvation. And when you have Jesus, that should be enough. All these other things, they need to be added. But if they don't get added, that must not change your faith in God. Because in the end, this is not our home. This earth is not our home. We are pilgrims passing through and this is the understanding of our spiritual mindset that we need to adopt so that we can walk with God even in moments of abundance and moments of lack. Paul said, I have learned to abase and learn to abound. I have learned to be content in whatever state I am in. He said there were times that he had nothing and there were times that he has abundance. Both ways, he did not deny and he did not stop serving Jesus Christ. This is how to be a proper Christian. Not Christianity that is tied to blessings and tied to wealth and tied to physical things. Those things are all right, but the greatest treasure is the treasure of Jesus the Christ. Now, the Bible says that you have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name. Church, it's good to endure hardship for the name of Jesus. He sees it. For me, this gladdens my heart that Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it. Sometimes when you are sent to plant a church, it's not easy. (laughs) There is nothing appealing and attractive. You, You go to church and you find that it's going to be you and your wife or only you alone. And it is is not a very pleasant thing, it's it's endurance, it's hardship. (laughs) It's hardship. You, You can predict that it's going to be the two of you in the service. And it's cold, it's winter, it's a dry land, no church, nobody is coming. But you are there and you are laboring and you are praying and you are fasting and you are going to the church and you know that it is possible that this very Sunday or this weekday you are going to preach to the church but you still believe God and still go enduring hardship. And sometimes as you plant a church and church begins to grow, one or two people come. Somebody tells them something against the church and they leave the church. It hurts, but it's part of the hardship. You carry on. Some people come and insult you. You carry on. (laughs) Glory be to Jesus. Some people will insult you for being a pastor. They will insult you. (laughs) These are all enduring hardships for my name. And you have not grown weary. Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it. I say, Jesus sees it. Sometimes as you commit yourself to the work of God, some people will stand back and wonder, what is it? Is this your father's business? Is this your mother's business? Why have you, le- why have you left this whole thing on yourself? Why are you carrying this on yourself? What is all this? How much do they pay you? The pastor is using you. You hear all this in depth. Now, people, when all these things are going on, I just want you to see something. Jesus says... I have seen all that you are enduring for my name, for my name, for my name. You be called names. You go through attacks, Satan will attack you. But these people, the Bible says, and you have not grown weary. This evening I came to submit to you, don't grow weary. Don't stop, don't be tired. Don't let the frustrations, don't let the limitations, don't let the abuse, don't let the uncommitment of others stop you from serving Jesus because he is the one seeing you. And he made these statements. Then he says, look at all these good things I have just mentioned. Is it not enough to move all the church of Ephesus and bring them to heaven? Give them all their awards? Look at this Jesus. His standards are high. I thought I have standards, but Jesus' standard is very high. Yet, I hold this against you. you see, it, it breaks my heart when I hear that thing. I hold this against you. That he could hold things against us. That he could hold something. Despite all of this, is it not enough? <laughs> you know sometimes in leadership when your standards are high you claim for excellence people work hard and say i'm not satisfied say, so all these things still didn't satisfy him no 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 i don't know it's better you work with me than with jesus <laughs> look at him here He say i hold this look at all these people have sacrificed for their church they have done all these things they don't tolerate wicked people they have taught what is right they even are spiritual they are detecting false apostles and clearing them out of the church doing proper house cleansing exercise in the name of the lord yet the lord says i hold one thing against you you have forsaken your first love ladies and gentlemen when we want to give ourselves to god we better give all to him all to him all to him he says you have forsaken your first love Remember the height from which you have fallen. See, we can be very spiritual, busy doing things, and we may have lost our first love. We become, you know, mechanical. We are we are involved in the process, but we are not anymore in touch. We are not doing things out of love for Jesus. We are doing things out of routine. So the church has steadfastly refused to tolerate sin among its members. This was not easy in a city noted for immoral sexual practices. You know, everywhere you have got satanic headquarters, such headquarters of worship of gods. part of the rituals is sexual orgies and sexual immorality. It thrives in such places. And so, such things were prominent in Ephesus. And here, we still see that that church still stood righteous. People were ensuring the word, the leadership were teaching solid word and preaching against sin and would not allow it. It is popular in those days and even in our days. These days we say it's better to be open-minded. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to sin, you don't become open-minded. You become God-minded in Jesus' name. That when we become open-minded, that we begin to change the label and call it the names that the world wants to call it. But we call it by the name the Lord calls it. It is sin. It is unrighteousness. When the body of believers begins to tolerate sin in the church, it is called lowering the standards and compromising the church's witness. We are lowering God's standards. We don't have to lower it. We don't have to be open-minded and call it, you know, personal choices or alternative lifestyles. They are sin. And that is the word of God. This is what church stands for. Amen. Amen. Preaches what Jesus would have preached in our days. Hallelujah. So, when it comes to approval of what constitutes standards, use God's word. Amen. Not what people around you are willing to accept. You must use God's word to set the standards for what is right or wrong. This church set the standards for what is right or wrong using the word of God. And Christ commended them so well for whatever they did. But then, he goes on to say to them, I have one thing against you. He says that, you see, they have become very busy. At this stage, many of the founders may have died. And another the next generation have come. They are following routine. They don't have the love to do things. See, the the, the love of Christ. See, when we became born again at first, that's why I say you have lost your first love. You know, sometimes we can be busy doing something as a routine, but we are not zealous in doing it with, with the passion because of the love we have for Christ. We are doing it because pastor says we should do it. Pastor says we should do it. See, we are doing it because we are rebuking people or disciplining people because we just, we are angry with them, but we are not disciplining them in church out of love. It says the zeal you had before. You know, when we become born again, we we, we run to church. We want to be at church. We are excited about Holy Ghost baptism. We are excited about the movements of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and all those things. Gradually, we become so used to service and church That we have lost contact with the spirit of God. And therefore, we just no longer follow the spirit. We we just do things out of procedure, out of ceremony, out of the order. But without the love and passion of Christ. He said, you have lost your first love for me. So, we can be busy at church and we no longer pray. We can be very busy doing things for God. And we no longer have communion with the Holy Spirit. We can be busy and we no longer read our Bible for days and for weeks and months. Because we have them them in memory. But Jesus wants us to have that fellowship. When we became born again, we were thirsty for him. Church, have you read your Bible today? Pastor, have you read your Bible today? Deacon, have you read your Bible today? (laughs) This is how it starts. We forget last week, this week, next week. And we go on and say, I know where, where we are. We'll get there. I'll, I'll recover. And gradually, gradually, the next time, the only time you read the Bible is when you are about to preach. You Gradually, you have lost your first love. Our love for him must be constant in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. He says, I hold this against you. You are forsaking your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There were some things we did at first. May we repent and do the things we did at first. Amen. Get up and get involved in the morning devotion. There were some of the things you did at first. There were many times that uh, when we become born again, we are zealous even without knowledge. Now, it gets to a point when we become so familiar with God, we have the reverse. We are very knowledgeable, but we lack zeal. We become very knowledgeable, but we lack the passion and the zeal. We do things, but we are doing it lackadaisically. In a lazy, unusual manner. And when somebody reminds you, are you not coming to the service on time? Oh, you don't worry, I'll be there. After I know what they are going to say. <laughs> i know what god is going to preach i know how the service is going to be i'll enter at this time you know we we have lost the fact that whenever two or three gather together in his name he's right there he's right there so you don't have to go to service late because god has come already don't you respect see we have lost that passion these are things we understood when we became born again so we ran to church but worship is going on and you are not afraid that Elohim has already come for he dwells in the midst of his people and you are walking leisurely to service. You have knowledge that you'll be there but there's no passion anymore. There's no passion. There's no fear of God. The love has died. And that's what he was addressing here. And then he says to them if you do not repent I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Charlie, he's not joking. <laughs> this Jesus, he has commended them for so, but just one thing, he's taking action. Consequences, he will remove the lampstand. Church, the lampstand is the church. If he said he's going to take the power of the church from the church, you will just gather. This is what results in apostate churches. The church is there, but there's no power in the house. There's no anointing. It has become fellowship. It has become social gathering. So you see, such churches, they are there, powerful, a lot of people. They, they, they have organization, they have structure, they can move and. But the spirit of God has departed from them. says, "I will come and I will remove what makes the church church. And what makes the church church is the constant presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the church. said, I will take my presence away." You will just have a gathering without me. I don't wonder. That is very scary. If you are a church without the presence of God, you are finished. You better not gather. Because Satan will come in and gradually tear you apart. Sin becomes rampant in the church. All kinds of things begin to go on in the church. And we see some older churches experience this thing. They started well somewhere along the line politicians kings queens came into the church gradually compromise of standards you see them today they are still organized etc but you see the setting power of the anointing is absent they started well but this is it they do all the right things but something is missing The understanding the love of god doing things with the love of god the passion of god is not there he says if you don't repent i'll come to you and remove your lampstand from his place but you have this in your favor. Then he commends the one more thing. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. Amen. We, we mentioned the spirit of Nicolaitans when we're dealing with the church in Tartira. And we said that the spirit of Nicolaitan is a spirit that makes people no longer have value for what is holy. That which is holy, they downplay it. And help you to disrespect it. And then play with holy things. And they help people to compromise. So that which you used to fear before. That this is a sin. When you come into contact with a Nicolaitan. He will be able to tell you. Don't worry. You can do it. You can do it. Don't fear these things. Don't fear these things. Nothing will happen to you. Let your eyes be open. Be modern. Be open minded. Allow everything. And that's happens and he says that you have hate the practices so this church they are very spiritual he said you hate the things i hate but take note he didn't say he hate the people he, they hate the practice the deeds the practices of the nicolaitans that means that we must hate the sin and still be able to out of the love of christ still preach to such people to repent out of their ways rebuke correct with all long suffering it is part of the love we have for the lord otherwise we allow anything to i don't want to offend anybody me i'm just serving in this house no you are falling into the second thing you have lost your first love see when we were born again if you become born again you are passionate for god when you are taught what sin is etc when you see people sinning, you want to talk about it you want to go and confront sinners you want to rebuke someone for sinning you want to talk about it you hate it but gradually We begin to lose our first love of blasting sin. Because we want everybody to like us. Jesus said, the things I hate, you also hate. This church hates it, but they have one problem. They have lost their first love. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Remember that in the garden of Eden, there were two trees. The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. When they touched the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they broke God's commandment. Man sinned. He realized that they are not in the same league anymore. They were kicked out. But the tree of life was protected because they were in the falling state. That is why the tree of life in the garden was protected by angels. Cherubims were sent to guard it. So that man doesn't touch it otherwise he will live. For, he will eat it and live forever in a state of sinfulness. And so it will be impossible for Jesus Christ to come and die and redeem man because man will be eternally dead. So it was protected. And Jesus now promises that anyone who overcomes, who overcomes the Ephesus spirit, who overcomes the Nicolaitan spirit, who overcomes especially when we, when we miss the plan of God, when we actually walk in our own ways without the passion and love of Christ, the scripture says that when we overcome this thing and we go back to our first love, he says, to him, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life. Eternal life is promised, which is in the paradise of God. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. So we see that it is very dangerous to be working in the house of god without the love of christ the things that we used to do before he says let's go back and do them so let's not impress god with bigger things he needs the whole package don't leave one behind glory be to jesus amen when we just like a man and woman may fall in love the same thing when we find christ jesus we, we 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 fall in love with our newfound faith our newfound service our commitment our availability our passion our time our, our constant presence in every service in everything and then gradually we allow complacency familiarity to set in and then we begin to lower certain standards and we think because we are busy with everything god is not looking at things it is very dangerous to play key roles in church And not have personal devotion with the Lord Jesus. He said, I am a jealous God. He needs you daily to come before him in prayer, in the word, in walking in the fear of the Lord. He says, go back and do the things that you used to do before. The things you started with. May the Lord help us in Jesus name. So despite all these good things, he says, every one of them, he said, I have one thing against you. (laughs) Even one. And that is enough to let him come and take away the power of the church. Because we need to do these things with love in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. May we today not have knowledge and lack enthusiasm to do it. That's why you don't do certain things when they talk. I know. I know after today, But why are you not doing it? This is what Jesus is looking at. It's time for evangelism. I know. That thing is not for me. Weekday services is not for me. It's not my thing. Oh, this evangelism thing is not my thing. Really. Have knowledge and carry enthusiasm with it. That's what Jesus is saying. Your love for me must still be up there. Glory be to Jesus. Now, let's travel quickly to to Revelation chapter 3. And then we will now look at the church. In Laodicea the church in Laodicea the church in Laodicea is another powerful church very very powerful now in chapter 3 and the verse number 14 number 14 to 21 the church in Laodicea he says these are the words of the Amen (laughs) Can you imagine? Jesus, this, uh, when I come to the names, we will look at them. Look at him, introducing himself this way. You see that he introduced himself differently in Ephesus. When he came to Laodicea, he says, these are the words of the Amen. Jesus is called the Amen. (laughs) The Amen. The faithful and true witness. The ruler of God's creation. In the old King James, it says the, the firstborn of cause creation. That means in all things he has preeminence. It doesn't mean that he was created. Amen. He's talking about his preeminence. He existed before all things. The the Greek word was archie, A R C H E, and that is ancient, progenitor, old, before so the words of the amen the faithful and true witness of god the ruler of god's creation what an introduction he said these are the words of the amen in him his words are yea and amen so let it be He is the one that everything have to be as it is everything is true amen means so let it be he is the one that is so let it be there's no lie about it there's truth about him and he's a faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your works. He knows the works. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, lukewarm is neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And then in verse 17, he says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need anything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So you can become rich. And white clothes to wear. So you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve. It's an eye ointment to put on your eyes so you can see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. (laughs) Sometimes when your pastor rebukes and disciplines you, it's a sign he loves you. He says, Jesus, Jesus said, those I love. You know, we have a, in in church leadership, there's a phrase, there's a statement in, in leadership in church leadership it says to a certain level it says that from experience never call anybody your spiritual son or daughter until they can handle public rebuke if they can handle public rebuke then they are getting ready you cut them and you heal them then they are getting ready to be sons True sons are circumcised those whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent and I'm not talking about just being excited and just rebuking publicly. But I'm talking about when you have genuinely gone into error. So be honest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. What a blessing. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Have you seen that it is the spirit saying and Jesus saying is synonymous. It starts off by saying this is the words of the amen, Jesus. Then he says, this is what the spirit is saying to the church because they are one. Amen. Amen. Now let's take them verse by verse to see. First of all, let me take you to the background of Laodicea. It was the wealthiest of the seven cities. You know, Sardis was wealthy, Ephesus had some wealth, but of all the seven churches, the most wealthiest is the city of Laodicea. They were very wealthy. They were known for their banking industry, manufacture of wool, and they also have One of the first medical schools that produced I-SALVE. They are an established nation city. They had wealth. They had a powerful manufacturing industry and textile industry. So there's so much wealth. The city itself is wealthy and people in the city are extra wealthy. So the church itself in this city was very, very wealthy as well. The church itself is wealthy. Members are wealthy. The whole place is a very wealthy place. Now, in order to understand some of the words that have been used there, that's why I need to give you a brief background to the place. The city, despite all these blessings, had one problem. They had a water problem. They had a water supply problem. And it is said that at one point, an aqueduct... You know, a conduit by which water comes into the city, into the town, was built to bring water to the city from hot springs, hot springs in the wilderness. They built all these channels so that hot springs will bring water all the way. And by the time the water reached the city, because they were expecting such freshness of water, when the water reaches the city, unfortunately, by way of design, the water loses its freshness and so it comes in neither hot nor cold and it comes in very very lukewarm and so it doesn't taste well in the mouth so with all the money they spend to do that the water still comes that the people still don't enjoy the water and that's why jesus used their own situation to describe how he feels towards them so it was neither hot nor refreshingly cool only lukewarm. And Jesus is saying the church therefore had become as bland as the trippid water that came into the city. It's it's not a sweet water. It's neither here nor there. It's not when you put it in your mouth, you feel like throwing up upon all the money that have been spent to create such a thing. And so lukewarm water makes a disgusting drink. And the church in Laodicea had become lukewarm and thus distasteful and repugnant the believers didn't take a stand for anything lukewarm neither hot nor cold they didn't take a stand for anything if you don't take a stand for something you fall for anything in a world where everybody is standing for something we must stand for jesus christ and stand for the word of god they didn't take a stand for anything they had indifference which led to idleness. When it comes to sin, they never take a stand. Let people be. It doesn't matter. Look at the world. The Lord has blessed us. If God is not with us, why has he blessed us this much? So now, the standards of the church is compromised. There is lukewarmness in the church. We are not hot nor cold. We don't do anything. They just come to church. The church has money. See, so once the church has money, we don't need to even do evangelism. Church will go on. Now, we don't need to grow. We don't want, we don't have to worry ourselves whether people are born again or not. We have money. Ladies and gentlemen, I've always had this in mind. Even if God blesses me with billions of pounds, I will still wake up and go to evangelism every day. I will still stand and preach the gospel. I will still work hard in the church. See, our service of God should be the central focus why Jesus went to the cross. Souls, 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 church, souls. If we have billions of pounds and the world is still not saved, we haven't done the work. That's what the Lord was looking for. So these things, worldly pleasures, worldly and material wealth can make us relax and think because that is what God is looking for. So people can be blessed and still not serve God. And it's a very dangerous thing. And we need to be assessing our Christianity in the context of how God looks at us. The other day, somebody came to share a few things with me from another church. And I said, look, let's be honest with ourselves. And let's stop all this infighting in churches and, and arrogance and pride and fighting and all those things. Because if we take London alone, the population. Of London is 8 million people. 8 million live in the city of London alone. London. That means that 10% of 8 million is 800,000. How many churches are sitting 800,000 people? So if your church is not sitting 10% of the population of the city, what is this arrogance? The work is not done. of 8 million is 80,000. We church in London, even in the whole United Kingdom, seats 80,000 people. None. 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 So, you see, the point is, we must be Christ-centered and soul-winning conscious. This is what the Lord who called us is looking for. This is why the church exists. So you see, it doesn't matter the abundance of wealth. We have to see how many souls are being saved. We need to match it with the souls. That's why it doesn't matter what wealth you carry as a church. It must not stop because when we look around and we see more unsaved people, we need to be focused on them. But if we see unsaved people, but because the church has got money, then we have become lukewarm towards the assignment. Look at this. Then it says that they were indifference which led to idleness. Now we don't need to do much. Everything is there. Whatever we need is there. Why do we have to? Sometimes I fear this might happen to us as a church. If we get wealth, build the buildings that we want to build, will people really go to evangelism? Would we do it if we fill the whole place? Would we say it's enough? Listen, unbelievers are feeling Wembley Stadium. They are feeling it. They are feeling it. Wembley seats about 80,000. That's, they, they, they have got the congregation. <laughs> 1% of the, of the total population. They sit it. Sunday after Sunday, football stadiums have been filled. That's where the new religion is. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. So, by neglecting to do anything for Christ, the church had become hardened, self satisfied. And it was destroying itself. Hardened and self-satisfied. Hardened and self-satisfied. There's nothing more disgusting than a half-hearted, in name only Christian. I said there's nothing more disgusting than a half-hearted, in name only. Not in work, but in name only. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I go to that church. That's it. What do you do in church? Nothing. Nothing. What do they? Oh, we have a big choir. (laughs) Our church, we have a big choir. (laughs) Big choir. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. If we are just this type of Christian, what we are doing is self, you know, promotion. It's not not Christ-centered. Don't settle for following God halfway. Let Christ fire up your faith and get you into action in Jesus' name. In verse 17, Jesus that goes on. So I've now explained why he used their own situation to describe so that they can understand how he feels about them. That's why he uses a lot of, you know, teaching aids. And that's why he said, you are neither hot nor cold. Just like the water you have been drinking that you actually vomits. You spend so much and you are like that. Say, I've spent so much on you as a church. I went to the cross, paid the price like the aqueduct that you created with all your money. And now this is how I feel towards you because you are neither hot nor cold. I feel like throwing you out of my mouth. This is how I feel. Church, ask yourself, is that how Jesus is feeling about you? Where is your level of commitment in your service of God and church? In Jesus' name. Now, then he says to them, in the verse number 17 in 17 it says you say i am rich i have acquired wealth i don't need a thing so now they don't need why do i have to be a member of the ushering department I, I'm, I'm wealthy already why do i have to come and support anything i can send money from afar he wants you to work in his house amen he wants you to win souls he wants you to be involved in the work jesus sees all of this for me that's what put the fear in me now you see some believers assume that numerous material possessions are a sign of god's spiritual blessing they make that assumption that if they have got enough material possession is a sign of of god's spiritual blessing so that's what they say here they are saying within themselves if they are not committed to it i don't need anything i'm rich i'm wealthy i'm all right i don't need anything but what the laudations could see and buy had become more valuable to them than the things that are eternal and that are unseen wealth luxuries and ease can make people feel confident satisfied and complacent i don't need anything why you know because that is the wrong theology we have received that's the wrong discipleship people have received today they just think that they are being born again and being in church is for God to meet their needs. So when their needs are met, they don't see why they should go to evangelism. They don't see why they should win souls. They don't see why they should disciple anybody. They don't see why they should make themselves available for fasting and prayer. He has got money already. Because his whole mindset about all these spiritual exercises is to get wealth. So when we teach people that way, this is their mindset. And the people, the church in Laodicea thinks they don't need anything anymore. So soul winning is none of their business. They don't care about it. They have been blessed. They are not concerned about the heartbeat of God. And that's what Jesus was addressing here. But you see, he then tells them that you don't realize that your earthly possessions are nothing. They are still dust and ashes he says you don't realize that you are wretched in the realm of the spirit you are wretched in the realm of the spirit you are pitiful in the realm of the spirit you are poor you are spiritually blind and actually you are naked this is serious these are members of the they've got cars they've got money they've got buildings they've got houses they've got business they've got wealth and because of that They are not paying attention to spiritual things. They are not paying attention to the service of God. Jesus says, on earth, you look this way. But in the realm of the spirit, this is how I'm seeing you. You are very, very pitiful. You are poor. Your wealth is nothing. You are poor. You are blind and you are naked. And that means that no matter how much you possess or how much money you make, you have nothing if you don't have a vital relationship with jesus christ that's what he's saying so this is where they stop praying they don't have the fellowship of the holy ghost with them <laughs> they, they, they they are just reserved they, they choose when to come to church and whether to come to church we don't need to join anything you know they come and go as and when and they have their name written down They only need the pastor for ceremonies <laughs> ceremonies funerals weddings pastor my daughter is getting married will you come and bless it for us and pastor and you're when they are very wealthy their voice is changing (laughs) but no matter how much you possess or how much money you make you have nothing if you don't have a right relationship with jesus christ this evening i came to ask you a question how does your current level of wealth affect your spiritual desire How does your current level of wealth affect your spiritual desire? Some people, this is the reason why God doesn't bless them financially. He knows their heart. He really knows it. I've been in ministry for so many years. I've seen so many people and pastored different kinds of people. I've had people who can say, Pastor, when the Lord bless me and I get a good job and I get money and I get a car, I will give lift to church members. (laughs) When they get car, they don't even come to church not to even talk about the lift to church members not to even talk about the mission work that they said they would do with the car not even to talk about the support they said they would give for missions and evangelism and church growth no all those things. i'm very busy with work i <laughs> hope you must understand after the title said but i'm very very busy with work this is exactly what is going on church of Laodicea situation may the lord help us in jesus name that the things of this world the blessings of god does not become a stumbling block to our total service of Jesus Christ. Then he says here, so he says, instead of centering your life on comfort and luxury, may you find your true riches in Jesus Christ. That's what he's teaching them here. He says, You don't know you are poor. I therefore counsel you, verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire. Don't go and buy gold from where you are. What you have is not wealth. Jesus is saying that. Because of their great wealth, Christ told the laudations to buy gold from him. That is the real spiritual treasures, not the worldly treasures. He said, those things, you have them on you, they are dust. They came from the dust and they will return to the dust. But the real spiritual treasure is your soul. It's your relationship with me. I am the true treasure that's what jesus is saying so the city was also proud of its cloth and dyeing and textile industries that is why he moved them on from saying buy gold from me come to me for the real spiritual treasure then he goes on to say so that you can become rich because you are poor blessed are those who test and hunger for righteousness now then he says and white clothes come to me for white clothes to wear because all this your textile industry they mean nothing at all you are still naked in the realm of the spirit you are naked you've been going to check but you are naked he said get this from me so that you purchase white clothes from me his righteousness his righteousness he says get true riches which is me the true treasures then Come to me also, serve me, so that you have my righteousness. Because what you are wearing is nothing. It will decay. It will get destroyed. It will get torn. But come to me. In me, you have righteousness. We wash our robes in the blood of Jesus. That is what we are wearing as a garment in the realm of the spirit. And not just these nice things that work, see me wearing my coat of many colors. <laughs> <laughs> some years ago i got i got a, a a parcel from a church in america and it was a it was a it was a cloth of many colors they call it joseph's cloth of many colors i said what do they think <laughs> joseph cloth that he wore it brought him trouble <laughs> you don't need that one you need a favor of god in jesus name amen but this is this is the thing they what we wear it's so much what we are occupied with. It's sad that sometimes in some churches, some people don't want to repeat clothes. Okay, we are going for dressing competition in the church. Our focus is totally misplaced. Jesus said, this is not the most important thing. Come to me in righteousness so you can wear a garment of righteousness. Buy that from me. Come to me and I will put that on you. Because that's what the devil will be afraid of. Satan was told by God, have you considered my servant Job? See how he serves me. Satan said, is it not because you have put a hedge of protection around him? The hedge of righteousness. If Job will break it, then the serpent will bite him. Ecclesiastes says so so you see we need that defense from god because whatever we wear when spiritual weapons are fashioned against us it will stand but when we wear the garment of righteousness no weapon formed against you shall prosper and you we love the verse 17 but take verse 15 it says in righteousness you shall be established before no weapon formed against you shall prosper jesus says seek this from me and not the earthly things that we have they have an end here but this that in christ our possessions must be what christ gives the next thing that he says to them therefore then he says to them in the verse number 18 and then he says and buy from me salve to put on your eyes so that you can see because you are blinded by worldly things it is choking the word of god in you you are compromising the word in you but you need that and again they are also very famous for their eye ointment from their medical facility. The, the, the one that the whole world then was going to. The one in Laodicea. The medical center in Laodicea. It's a medical school. It's a very powerfully manufactured eye salve. That cured a lot of eye diseases and eye problems. Now Jesus said to him, everything that you are boasting about. I want you to understand it is better in me than what you are going for. Come to me better than this. There are better things in me. So he says, don't go and buy things from your medical place. Come to me and I will give you what it takes to open your eyes. So you can see your true state. May the Lord help us to see our true state. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Glory be to Jesus. So he told them to get medicine from him. To heal their eyes so they can see the truth their eyes will be opened in in john chapter 9 he told the pharisees that you are blind (laughs) you are blind that is why you can't see the gospel you are blind so we can be busy in church we have a form of godliness but according to jesus we are actually wretched may we not allow material wealth to take the place of the total service of god in jesus name may we not become lukewarm and bluff church because we have money According to Jesus, the sum total of the wealth of the world is nothing. He says you are poor, you are naked. Actually, the most expensive thing in this life is the human soul. And the human soul only gets its value when Christ is connected to it. That is the true life that we live. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Then he goes on to say, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. According to Jesus, he would discipline a lukewarm church. He would discipline a lukewarm Christian unless we turn from our indifference towards him. We become indifferent to the things of God. When people are indifferent, they don't care. Whether anything moves or not. Whether the church gets a place or not. Whether the church goes to evangelism or not. Whether the church grows or not. Whether people are born again or not. It's just, it's not their business. I came to Abrochee to struggle. I came to England. I came to Britain. I came to America. I came to Switzerland to to struggle. I have broken through. I don't need church. Don't come and tell me what to do with my life. Really? Hold it there. All these things. the, The one that gives you power to get there you know we always tell that story it's a sad situation but sometimes it brings the message home you know this brother who was committed in church and he 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 decided to go to church on sunday because there's a program he doesn't want to go and do what he must do in church you know sometimes people people withhold their service from church thinking they are punishing the pastor in america this happened in new york he he's the drama of the church he, he decided to bluff the church on a Sunday and decided to accept. Normally, he doesn't work on Sunday. He decided to accept overtime and accept a duty on Sunday. And he went to work. When he went to work, he was busy working and then he was sent to a cold room to go there, to go and pick something. I think he went there and I think the door locked behind him and he was stuck inside. He shouted, for it's a Sunday. Not many people were there. So he shouted and shouted and died there. He died there. They found him the next day on a Monday, in the cold. You could have gone to church and played safely for church. May we learn not to bluff Jesus Christ, Amen. Hallelujah. Their possessions and their achievements were valueless compared with the everlasting future of Christ's kingdom. May we be kingdom-minded in the name of Jesus. These these teachings are for Christians to grow and learn how to walk with God and continuously assess your life. That are you becoming like the church in Laodicea because of their wealth. They think they don't need anything anymore. May we learn to seek Jesus in Jesus' name. And so he says, your lukewarm behavior will attract judgment from Jesus Christ. And his purpose is not to kill, but to discipline. Discipline is different from punishment amen hallelujah so the bible says that he says i will rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent tonight the recommendation is repent and change your ways go back to the first love go back to the things that you used to do don't let anything stop you from your total commitment to the service of jesus christ whether the church is a big church Or small church. Commit yourself and work in the church. And let Jesus be your focus. In Jesus name. And then the most disturbing part of the whole thing. Came from the verse number 20. But let me finish 19 for you. You see. We can avoid God's discipline. By actually drawing near to him again. Through confession. Through service in the house of God. Through worship. Through studying the word of God. Please, if you go without the word of God, your heart has moved. We can't be too busy not to be praying every day and not to be connected daily with Christ himself. There is a place for corporate prayer where you join all of us to pray. But God is calling you to a higher standard. That There must be at least a time every day that you connect with Jesus Christ. It is there that you receive from the word and it influences your conduct as a believer. It mustn't take the church to say we are going to evangelism. The primary duty of every Christian is to witness to people to become born again. When we start behaving like laudations, we don't care anymore. Whether I sit on the bus and people are born again or not, I don't want to trouble anymore. I don't want to trouble anybody. They have their own life. Me too, are minding my own business. Ladies and gentlemen, the call of Jesus Christ for the Christian is not a mind your own business matter. This one is not my your own business matter. According to Jesus, anybody who is not born again, we must tell them that they must be born again. And we must learn to teach people to become born again. If you are Christian and you are listening to me, are you able to witness to someone on your own about their faith? Throughout this year, then let me deliver you from last year. I know you didn't do it. This year, January to April, have you spoken to someone about their salvation? In the conversation you have with them, is jesus at the center of it or your christianity is all need-based christianity what can i get father lord my breakthrough my children my car my shoe my wife my husband my health that's all kind of christianity or you come to church it it will listen listen let's stop telling people when they come to church it will be well with them they must come to church to know jesus christ as their lord and savior because they are lost they are lost If it becomes well with them and they are not born again, they will go to hell. So, let's preach the truth. Now, this is how we get it right. He says, if we are not getting it right, he's going to spew us out of his mouth. When Jesus looks at you this evening, when Jesus looks at our church, do we look like something that he likes to spew out of his mouth? Something that gives him nausea, that makes him feel sick. Because we are neither hot nor cold. We are just like the water that comes in and with all the excitement from the beginning. It looks very hot from a distance. It looks very nice from a distance. It looks appealing from a distance. But when people come among us, it's, it's not appealing. We have a badge. We are born again. We are Christians. We use Christian jargons. But then we have lost connection with God. May the Lord help us. As the Lord calls us back to himself this evening. In Jesus name hallelujah glory be to jesus and may the holy spirit start a new fire in us in jesus mighty name amen now verse 20 as i conclude then he says to them behold i stand at the door this is one of the most misunderstood scriptures it has been used in evangelism uh, but if we are looking at the proper interpretation and context of this scripture it is not for unbelievers It is not for unbelievers. You see, their lukewarmness and their indifference towards the things of God has made Jesus depart from the church. He's now outside and he's knocking on the door of their heart to let them in again. This is a tragedy. This is a tragedy that Jesus is now patiently knocking on the door of your heart that you have kicked me out of my own church. This behavior kicks Jesus out of his church. That is Laodicea. These attitudes, the wealth, the prosperity of the world at the expense of the true gospel and commitment and sacrifice and service of God has moved Jesus out of the church. He's no longer inside the church. He's outside and he says, I'm not going to be allowed to come to my own house. What a tragedy. Because your behavior has made him to even move away from you because it's nauseating. And this is how God judges us. Where is your service tonight? When was the last time you read the Bible on your own? When did you pray on your own? When did you speak to someone about Jesus Christ? When did you maintain righteousness and integrity and did what is right according to the word of God? When did you defend the word of God? When others are speaking evil about the church. When people speak and deny the existence of Christ, how much scripture do you have to defend it where you are? jesus said in mark if you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation then i will also be afraid of you when it comes to recommending you before my father and the angels in heaven so the church was complacent they were rich they were self-satisfied and they didn't have christ's presence among them and they didn't even realize it that it has to take the law standing outside and knocking at the door of their hearts but they were so busy enjoying worldly pleasures that even the promptings of the Holy Ghost is totally not felt. They are dead to the movements of God, to the promptings of God, to even God whispering to them to say, Come back to me. Pray. Read your Bible. All those things are ignored. My wealth is enough. It means that God is with me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not every wealth that shows that God is with you. Laodicea, they were rich. Jesus had left the church. He's not even appealing to them. Knocking on the door of their hearts and they are not ready to listen. He says, if anyone hears my voice, they have stopped hearing his voice. But they've been going to church. Every Sunday, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Every gadget you need, they have it in the church. It is entertainment now. It is not spiritual. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. This is how Jesus sees it. They were so busy. And they didn't notice that he was trying to enter. The pleasures of this world. Money, security, material possessions can be dangerous. Because their temporary satisfaction makes us indifferent to God's offer of lasting satisfaction. We love the world. We love the world. We love the world. We love worldly things. But tonight, Jesus is knocking on the door of your hearts. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. The, holy, the only hope for eternal life is giving Jesus that opportunity, that place, that place of priority one more time in your life. One more time, one more time in your life. Amen. And we see finally as I bring this to a close that one thing about his patience and this attitude of his was that he's patient and persistent in trying to come through. He still loves us, but he's giving us time. We don't have all the luxury of time. Tomorrow may be too late. People are awake today. Tomorrow they fall down dead. People go to bed and never wake up again. We all don't know when that time will come. We are all different in the sight of God. We are all different in the way. Don't look at someone and copy things blindly. May those who truly serve God become an inspiration for you. But you must seek to know God yourself and to grow in him. Maybe we think you have more time. But probably you don't have time at all. As far as the timetable of God is concerned. Tonight, may Jesus... Draw your attention to this word and to his word and to his service in the name of Jesus. You must intentionally allow his presence and his power to work through you in the mighty name of Jesus. May you take this so urgently this evening as the word of God has come to you. And when we look at all these letters, we will see that believers were urged to listen to what the spirit is saying. And to take heart to what has been written. Tonight I pray that you will listen. He that hath an ear. I pray that your spiritual ears be tuned tonight. That you not be a hearer of the word. But be a doer of the word. In the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Because he's the one who died on the cross. And is coming again. May our priority be Jesus Christ. As it is said. Don't look for a church that is near your house. Look for a church that is close to the Bible. Don't look for a church that is close to your house. Look for a church that is close to the Bible. That is close to Jesus Christ. And I pray in Jesus' name that tonight, you will respond to the word that you have heard. That we will not become like the church in Ephesus in the negative way. And we will not become like the church in Laodicea. For the church in Laodicea, nothing was talked to them about. No commendation at all. In fact, they they don't have anything that they did right in the sight of the Lord at all. Nothing. Laodicea, nothing. Ephesus, at least they were persevering. they love Jesus, they rebuke sin, but they have less their first love. Sometimes our service of God can also go into our head, our head and miss the connection with God. Tonight, these two lessons, may God help you to be able to apply them in your life in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And as you do so, remember you are different, you will be judged differently. We will be approaching things different. Don't look at other people's lukewarm behavior and copy it. Don't look at other people and do what is wrong in your act and service as a child of God. I pray that the Lord help you in the mighty name of Jesus. Remember, we are all different and we will all stand before God differently. This afternoon, I was telling Pastor Justine, my my beloved wife, my Jewel. (laughs) I was telling her, you know, she last Saturday, I had my covid 19 vaccination and i've been looking for the side effect i can't find it i've been trying to manufacture the headache it's not happening i'm looking for the pain i don't get it i'm not getting anything even the place where they injected i'm pressing it i can't feel pain so i told her when she had hers she had her own side effects for 48 hours 72 hours Uh, my other son had this other people we know have the me i'm not getting anything i jokingly even told her did they inject me with water or what <laughs> but i am different we are all different i've been trying to force their the pay is nothing i'm not having so i had a saturday sunday you saw me firing on all cylinders preaching doing everything i've not had anything it's the grace of god but it tells you that we are different i am totally different she's totally different so don't watch somebody's error god will judge us totally different In the name of Jesus, go all out. Give yourself to God and serve God because you will stand before him one day. In Jesus' name. May we be delivered as a church from falling into the state of Laodicea and Ephesus. May we pick the right things in Ephesus and move them. May we return to our first love. May we listen to the righteous admonition of Jesus. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. There are promises when we get it right.